Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. I grew up uh, in an era, and not my parents, thankfully, but I grew up in an era where, you know, we were told that we could do anything and everything. I mean, that was that was the Sesame Street message. That was, God forbid, the Sunday school message. But everything was, you can imagine it, you can do it. And so you got a generation of people out there of big imaginations, and reality has hit us pretty hard. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome, everybody, to Paradox. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy Myers. And we are happy that you are joining us for this brief moment. And we are also very, very glad to have Aaron Hanbury. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Hey, did I pronounce that right, Aaron? Yeah, no, it's perfect. Excellent. I'm kind of embarrassed. I should have. But you that. wanted to say Cadbury. <laughs> yeah. Well, mostly, mostly we get Hanbury like it's a, like it's a fruit, but it's Cadbury <laughs> was right on. It's Burry. So yeah, Aaron is the editor of Relevant Magazine, uh, and you can find some of his writings, his publications there at Relevant, also with the Atlantic, and then the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's website there, um, if you want to check him out. Um, Aaron, tell us a little bit about your uh, work there at Relevant. Kind of tell us about Relevant Magazine. Yeah, Relevant is a faith and culture magazine. We reach uh, the upper end of millennials, uh, you know, so a a college age to mid to late 30s audience primarily. Um, Honestly, our our readers and listeners uh, tend to trend a little older than we sometimes think they do, which is always a a bit of a surprise, but the, our targeted audience is, is right there, I'd say 18 to, to 35 or so. Uh, our editorial spectrum is pretty broad. So, you know, we cover everything from uh, pop culture uh, to things like th- theology and faith news, uh, a lot of life and lifestyle articles and those kind of things. Uh, and we've kind of got a niche in uh, the music space. So we do a lot with uh, emerging artists, both secular, secular and um Christian, and we've been doing it for uh, for about 15 years now, going on 16 years. Now, I don't want to let my age of 56 skew your numbers, but I may be your number one retweeter on the planet, <laughs> and you might actually want to go in there and look and see. Uh, I love it because of the wide-ranging um, stuff that you put out, especially on Twitter. But when it comes to your place sort of in Christendom, I sort of look at relevant as the millennials Christianity today. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some um, publishing differences between us and them in terms of what we're covering and, and the space we occupy. But I think, I mean, that's a that's a fair analysis for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't reject that at all. Now, in, in March of this year, you wrote uh, an article called It's Officially Time to Redefine the Term Evangelical. Um, now, you had me in that article in the first paragraph when you quoted Andy Patinkin from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. So it, you didn't say anything about... By the way, Aaron, he doesn't really care about the article. He just wanted to quote... Seriously. Because you I know, do a any, very any good... Any day Princess I can Bride. go to bed and having talked about Mandy Patinkin is a good day. <laughs> Seriously. 
I didn't say anything about sleep well and dream of very large women. I didn't even bring that one up. So because you don't have to, it's gold before that. Isn't it the truth? So what did you? And I'm, I love the article. I, I loved that someone finally kind of put into words what I had always been thinking that the the word evangelical has in some way been usurped. What did you mean that it's time uh, to officially redefine it? Yeah, well, I, you know, we went back and forth a little bit on that headline, and, and I'm happy with where it came out. But I think the concept I'm approaching would probably be, probably be better captured with something like reimagine or recapture evangelical. Um, I mean, as you guys know, the evangelical was uh, a term that the Protestant reformers started using you know, right during the time and just after the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and they were distinguishing themselves over and against the Catholic Church. These were people who right. believed in the Bible, they believed in the gospel, and they believed in putting it at the center of what they did, uh, both in terms of church and church life and theology. Uh, but, I mean, you can't get away from the writings of, of Luther and Calvin and others to see that they're putting uh, the, the evangel, the gospel, at the center of everything they're doing. So back then, it, it wasn't just another name for Republican? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. So so for that, to all of a sudden in 2016, and of course it's been, I mean, you know, since the 80, late, probably late 80s, there's been a leaky, a leaky def- definition. But for now that to mean CNN says evangelical, and what they really mean is white guys in the South who, you know, are basically blue-collar workers. Who cling to their guns and religion. Exactly. It doesn't mean anything at all like it used to mean. Right. And so, I, you know, in one sense, the redefining of evangelical has already happened. And I was suggesting that we need to recapture it or reimagine it. Because, you know, if if evangelical means a Donald Trump voting block, then it's something I, I would reject. If it oh, means oh, somebody please. who's going to put the uh, the biblical gospel at the center of their church life and of their life life, then it's something we want to embrace. So we've already kind of spoken about millennials and and kind of that being the the, the audience um, of Relevant Magazine. Why do you think that that, that nowadays millennials get such a bad rap? Because they deserve it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that was directed towards you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I th- I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, somebody told me uh, who was on faculty at a major Christian university, and so I'll take his word for it, but I, I've not researched it myself that of all the materials written about millennials, uh, both online and in book form, uh, none of them are written by millennials. And so I I do think there's some of the perception that is just, uh, it's it's popular to to talk about uh, millennials being lazy or entitled the same way. But it's also because a millennial couldn't write more than 140 characters. That (laughs) that had a lot to do. But I mean, as soon as we get to reimagine tweets as books, then we will have so many books out there about it. The truth, but the same can be said. You know, I remember Gen Xers. Um, the same was said with the grunge movement, and I mean, every generation it seems like has has this type of fodder. Yeah, I, th- I think so, and I, I think some of it comes down to differing, uh, genuine differences in terms of the definitions of success. And so, where a boomer or a Gen Xer might think millennials aren't pursuing success, and by that they mean they're not working 50, 60 hours to make a six-figure income, to have you know a wife, two kids, and a dog. Uh, a, a 20, I don't know, six-year-old might be on the path to success, but in his vision, you know, it doesn't necessarily include home buying, but it might include more time with, you know, his wife and kids or something like that. And so some of those things I think are relatively neutral differences, 
Um, you know, one's not necessarily better than the other, but they cause confusion because we, we might use the same term like success or work or career. And we're actually imagining pretty different things. And then Very I think, defiant. you know, of course, there's some certain, <laughs> there's some negative characteristics for sure. Uh, some of it, you know, I'm, I'm a little um, I don't know where exactly to throw the blame. I mean, I grew up uh, in an era and not my parents, thankfully, but I grew up in an era where, you know, we were told that we could do anything and everything. I mean, that was, that was the Sesame street message. That was uh, God forbid the Sunday school message, but everything was, you, you can imagine it, you can do it. And so you got a generation of people out there of big imaginations and reality has hit us pretty hard too. So, you know, I, th I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's the, the fact that some, there are some uh, entitlements that were told, told us things we would have that the economy never you know, delivered on. And so there's some sure. franchisement that is, comes across as entitlement. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think there's all, all kind of issues like that. I mean, I think when it comes to relationships and some of the commitment things, uh, when you look at the absolutely horrendous divorce rates of the generations uh, older than millennials, that it's, it's absolutely no wonder that they're nervous and perhaps even sure. scared by some of the long-term commitments um, that in turn appear to be you know, entitlement or lazy or whatever it is. Sure. And you already mentioned kind of big imagination. So this, you might've already answered it, but what do you, what do you think are millennials greatest strengths? You know, in some ways, I think that remains to be seen. I mean, I think we'll know in the next 30 years what millennials greatest strengths were. Um, yeah, right now, I, I would like to say something like there's a social conscious, uh, a social consciousness that has not been as dominant in previous generations and you might see that in terms of like social justice. You might see that in terms of social entrepreneurship. You know, um, my fear is that some of that is just kind of faddish, you know, I mean, sure. uh, to use something like Tom's shoes as an example. I mean, it's great to give shoes. Um, we should commend <laughs> that kind of work. But at the same time, nobody buys a pair strictly because of a charity. They buy it because they want to have Correct. the shoes that, you know, make you look cool and, and whatever it is. And so. But what's interesting is it makes you look cool because of the charity aspect of it. Yeah, and that, that's absolutely true. So, you know, and that's to be commended. I do think that there has been a uh, sometimes subtle, sometimes really explicit rejection of uh, the idea that working more and more hours and making more and more money necessarily leads to the good life. And I think sure. some of that is healthy. I mean, um, there that's a spectrum. You know, you, you you tip off the lazy scale pretty fast, but I think in large part, you know, it's a it's a healthy thing. I find myself um, kind of internally wrestling with that sometimes too, right? Because on one sense, um, you know, I have a part of me and a friend group that is pushing. You know, you want to achieve the next status in your career, and you want to publish sure. the most influential this, and you get status, and then. Uh, other side of me and of, you know, similar friends who were thinking like, why were we even doing that? Like, you know, I want to spend time with my wife or I just had a kid sure. and I want to spend time with my kids and uh, all those kind of things. And so I think even wrestling with those questions is a, is a good thing, um, which is absolutely a strength of millennials. You wrote an article earlier this year um, and it was regarding porn threatening a generation. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, niche, uh, researchers, and by that I mean the um, Christian insider think tank type researchers have been seeing these kind of trends for a long time, and it just so happens that the mainstream media and kind of mainstream, the mainstream culture is catching up with some of it, and that is that um, 
pornography addiction, uh, regular pornography use has drastic physical effects. So, you know, it massively diminishes the ability of some guy um, who's addicted to porn to be aroused by really any other, you know, physical human being. Um, and so a lot of those guys themselves, a lot of guys who are currently or were currently addicted to porn are coming out against it. So they, they see the effects themselves. They can't, you know, respond to their um, girlfriends or wives or, or, or whatever it is. Yeah, Aaron, I had a client who was 20 years old, 20 years old. He's a junior in college and he can't maintain an erection uh, without concentrating on pornography. Uh, and it's you know, 20. I mean, I've seen clients forever, you know, in their 40s or whatever that may have this problem. But he's seen enough porn to completely desensitize himself by age 20. Uh, you know, I've just never seen him that young. I mean, it, this the same year and i think it was in some ways a precursor to the to the backlash against porn but we saw that playboy magazine removed nudity from their magazine yeah they removed it from they removed nudity from their magazine not because of some you know altruistic uh ideal that we can uphold you know the dignity of women but because people didn't buy it because nudity and pornography is so pervasive and so available and so free online that the only way that they could oh. entice men is to clothe is to clothe women uh because it's in some sense more salacious to have a covered uh woman's body than a naked woman's body and so isn't that the truth it's like so playboy is like a sunday school quarterly compared to what they can get for free online we've reached peak diminishing returns and so uh that was on the cover of time magazine uh gq has covered it um we're seeing all kind of things coming out on, on that side of it. This kind of physical, they would call it like a health crisis or something like that. And then of course, as Christians, there's, there's massive other implications as well. I mean, you've got, you can't get away from the fact that you've got a whole system predicated on men preying on women. Um, you've got the fidelity issues with spouses. You've got, um, uh, lust and, and licentiousness issues with single men and single men. Uh, so it, it was, it, it's a bit of a mess. Um, but you know, the, the silver lining is that, is that people are starting to wake up to it. You know, I think in, in much the same way that we're going to see, I think, um, better uses of technology in the future, because we're coming out of the first generation to experience this, you know, everybody and their sister has access to the internet in their hands yeah. all the time. Sure. Uh, and so we're getting better at how to use it, both in terms of time management and then some of these same moral questions. Uh, we're coming out of a generation that had so much access to explicit material and illicit material uh, that the culture itself is is figuring out that it's not healthy. And, you know, for the church, that's a huge opportunity because it's something that we've been saying from sure. the beginning or should have been saying at least from the beginning. And so now we're given a platform to say it. And hopefully we're saying it in a way that's winsome and not so much, I told you so, but yeah. in a way that can be genuinely helpful. Yeah. Now, Aaron, you're based out of Winter Park, Florida, which is just right there at Orlando. When you have something like the Orlando shooting uh, in the nightclub, uh, what kind of a, an editorial pressure do you have to say, okay, you know, how current are we supposed to be? Is this, is this a no brainer that this is on the cover um, how do you deal with, when you have a, an, an enormous event like that, uh, how do you guys from an editorial point of view handle that? Yeah, uh, very, um, and especially at being a gay club. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's very 
touch and go. I mean, it, it, sadly, in our country, these kind of shootings are so regular that we're getting we're getting pretty good at it. But um, with that particular shooting, you know, it, it happened, and I, I I mentioned it happened in the early hours of a Sunday night, and I mentioned to my wife as we were getting ready for church, hey, something's happened in Orlando. I saw it like on a like one of my phone notifications or something, and didn't think anything. Of, I mean, I, I thought about it, but it never registered in terms of my work, you know. Uh, but then by the time church was out we kind of realized the full magnitude of what was going on. And so, you know, we jumped on it and we're trying to, to cover the issue as sensitively and timely as possible. Asking the same questions that you're asking me uh, amongst ourselves the whole time, you know, is the timing of this right? Do we need to say less? Do we need to say more? Um, And, and much like, you know, the, the difficult part about being in the media, such as we are at least um, is that, you're kind of wrestling and struggling the same way everybody else is. We're just doing it in public. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would like to think that we covered some things. Well, I'm sure that there are things we could have done much better. Um, I'm sure there are things we, we oversaid. I'm sure there are things we undersaid and, and <laughs> uh, hopefully we won't have another opportunity to find out. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, that these things are happening so, so, you know, hard and fast. Um, I had a client the other day say, you know, I, I drove by the post office and I saw the, the flags at half mass and I forgot which massacre it was for. And that that's sort of the, you know, the, the world in which we now live. Now, you are a young family man. What is what are your concerns bringing up a family into this environment? Uh, and and I'm sure that you've got to have sort of a, of a proactive attitude of, of, of who your family is going to be and how you're going to parent in an environment in America that I'm not sure has necessarily existed before. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And I wish I had wonderful articulate answers for you. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big questions right now uh, roaming around in my head is uh, kind of our the church's response to some of these things. I've said for a while that going into this election cycle, we're going to see uh, some real clarity between, um, you know, what some people call cultural Christians and real Christians. Um, and we are, and, you know, we are seeing it. We're seeing some people who have basically bought into a politicized faith uh, go their way and uh, genuine Christians that the church try to struggle with what are we supposed to do, you know, in a society where we appear not to fit in. And now I think when you add in some of these other things, whether it's domestic threats of ISIS, whether it is uh, deep questions about uh, trust levels we can or cannot have in police force, whether it's, um, you know, how systemic are these issues? Uh, race is right in our face in a way that it's not been, in years and years um, as an issue we have to address. And so these are like, I mean, these are like deep questions that, you know, when you read textbooks of America, we thought we settled these things, you know, <laughs> in, in the elementary school textbooks. And it turns out they're right here in our faith. So in some ways we're, we're recreating what we're going to be as a country. And in the same way, I think Christians are having to redecide and then reaffirm or, you know, the same way we did with, I'm suggesting with the term evangelical, we're having to reimagine what it means to be a Christian in this society. Um, and those are certainly not easy questions at all. So uh, my hope would be that, um, you know, my family and then, and then future generations of Hanburys would be those who cling to the gospel and uh, can apply it wisely to the various challenges that appear. And if it happens to be things like 
race riots or if it happens to be shootings in um, urban areas or if it happens to be people driving trucks through parades or political parties that are uh, trying to prohibit us from doing what we do in terms of gathering and sharing our faith that uh, we would have the wisdom to do so. Yeah, and you you know you spoke to so many of the issues surrounding our culture as Americans and certainly the world. Um, it feels like specifically America, whether it's the now domestic terrorism or the race relations, the the political culture and how divisive that is. It feels like America is ripe for something, like we're just on the verge of something. Not necessarily sure what that is. I'm assuming it might be negative. Um, but often, if you look at the, the history of the church, you know, the most negative cultures really is an opportunity for believers. Um, what do you feel as we move on, you know, in the 21st century that, that we as believers um, have an opportunity to do? Or, or what do you feel like is our opportunity that is before us? Yeah, I think the number one question, even though it's a, it's a set of questions, that the church is going to have to decide and Christians are going to have to decide for themselves as we move into the deeper into the 21st century is what are the what are the hills that we die on and what are the hills that we don't die on yes um i think that observing a generation uh, ahead of me at least at, at least the caricatures of it but uh we have spent a lot of time fighting things that have led um not very far largely because they didn't they didn't matter <laughs> and they probably just sure. felt like they mattered a lot then but they ended up not um and so, you know, we, one example that always comes to mind is things like tax exempt status for churches and Christian schools and these kind of things. Now, I think there are certainly implications uh, on either side of that. I would not advocate that we lose tax exempt status. I wouldn't be happy if we did. I think there are ramifications sure. and smarter people than I who can figure it out. However, I think if we make our rallying cry tax exempt status for Christian schools, uh, we risk losing the heart of our concern in the same way that I think we already have with things like political witness um, and the term evangelicals, you know, because I think, you know, in 2016, all 2015, say the word evangelical to anyone and who, who among the larger society is thinking like, Oh yeah, those are those really hard, hardworking people who like love their neighbors and they meet on Sundays. And they're really peaceful. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? You don't think that at all. Uh, you think, Oh, I think are they, are they like race baiting and there are riots and stuff like that. Sure. And so as the culture grows more and more, fractured and all the ways that it's growing fractured, I think Christians are going to have to find a way to major on the majors in a way that our witness does not become fractured in a similar way that the culture does. I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, finding that hill. And if you're going to die on it, it needs to be a really important hill. hill. Yeah. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for your Appreciate time. Appreciate it. Guys, if you want more information about Aaron, you can check him out at relevantmediagroup.com. You can also find him on Twitter. It is A.C. Hanbury. Uh, any other platforms that you might be on? No, that's it. I mean, I'm, I am on Facebook, but I'm on Facebook about like I'm on Twitter, which means if it's a random evening and I decide I need to comment on <laughs> something on TV, you will get my uninvited Perfect. opinion. Love it. Well, we appreciate your Aaron, time, thank man. you so Take much. Take care. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So many things um, that he said. Um, first off, to, to your point, that you believe something big is, is coming, that America is ripe for something large. And I would have to agree um, that the Cowboys are going to be back in the Super Bowl this year. That's the Only kind of thing. Only you. I, I can almost feel a stirring 
in my soul. Only you could take that. A burning in my bosom. I actually have talked to several of my clients this week about this very thing. It's about just the like, Cowboys? No. So many crazy things are going on and that just we're just on the verge of something. And so as you introed, I thought you were going to validate my point. Go, yeah, I believe it. But then you <laughs> no. went straight to the football. No, I'm not validating. Hmm. Um, another couple of things. Um, just his whole article on it's time to readdress the term evangelical. Uh, it has become synonymous uh, with just the Tea Party and the Republican Party, and which is a shame uh, because Jesus is not a Republican, nor is he a Democrat. I think there are things about the, the Democratic platform uh, that would make Jesus shudder, and I think there are things about the Republican platform that would make him shudder. Um, and for us to, to try to co-op God... Uh, is is just never a really a good idea. Yeah, well, and it makes us seem reactionary. You know, when you mentioned Tea Party and how we're synonymous, right, as evangelicals with Republicans, Tea Party, I see that as such a reactionary stance, and really all of politics is. Mm -hmm. You know, well, if you're going to go so far left, I'm going to go really far right, and vice versa. Um, and so it makes us seem reactionary where we should be actually setting the standard. Yeah. Uh, that we should be at, out ahead of um, uh, culture and setting the standard. And so it, it, it certainly is a shame. One thing I loved that he mentioned was just the picking of our battles. And yes. I, I just spoke to that uh, in the interview. But um, if it's going to be a hill, it needs to be Make it a good the hill. And I was actually um, talking about this with a couple of buddies of, of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and just, I think it was St. Augustine um, that said that we need unity in essentials, in non-essentials. We need grace and in all things, no, we need liberty and in all things grace. Meaning That was Yogi Berra. That wasn't Augustine. <laughs> Meaning we need to find the hills, right? And we need to find the really big essentials and we need to have a unifying presentation yeah. of what I think, we believe here. Yes, and, and, and hopefully... The church is morphing out because there was a time, you know, when I was growing up and getting into ministry. Um, and I remember coming out of college, um, Howard Payne University. Stingham Jackets. Uh, where Christ and Christians meet. A fine education bathed in a Christian atmosphere. <laughs> uh, I remember, you know, talking about, okay, you're going to you're going to get a church as I'm going into the ministry. And. And everyone, the only thing you talked about was, are you pre or post? Yeah. Ugh. Are you pre-millennial or are you post -millennial? As though that were the most, and I'm going, what? Technically, that doesn't matter. But churches have been split over it. Good Lord, yeah. yes. So there was a time that it was all about dancing or drinking or, you know, we just majored on minors. And we've taken that same mentality now to non-believers and to our culture. Yes. So it is. There comes a time, and I think persecution does that. I think uh, for the church, that's a good thing when, when, when we're in the minority and we're struggling. Yeah. There's I, a refining by fire. I don't believe that the you know followers of Christ that are hidden away in China are sitting there debating Revelation. Probably not. <laughs> right, right. They're 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 talking yeah. about Jesus's love and how grateful they are to be able to sit in this room and speak. Yes, Lord. Um. So yeah, great guy. Yeah, guys, thanks for uh, listening to us today. You can find more about the show at ParadoxPodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It is Docs 
podcast. You can also find me, Josh, at those three platforms. It is Doc Josh Myers. On Facebook, it's Dr. Jimmy Myers. Twitter, Instagram, at Fam. Guys, uh, relevant. Yeah, go check it out. Got to be a part of, of your reading, your tweeting, your whatever you do. <laughs> Take care. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Guys, we hope that you enjoyed Aaron. And remaining relevant. Yeah. With Relevant Magazine. That's a shame. Uh, we are here. Normally, we have kind of the end tag of, of the show to... A, a person with a much nicer voice. Preview the Julie next episode. Call. But we, um, we're we taking probably a six to eight week break. Um, and so we wanted to do kind of a three to five minute wrap up of the first 40 episodes. Um, we are... 40 episodes. Isn't that crazy? That is cray cray. In <laughs> You sometimes go from talking rapper, mm-hmm. what's up, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you do Valley I'm, Girl. Because I'm cray. urban. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Um, so we're going to take a six to, to eight week break and see you in the next year. Um, and we want to kind of preview some of the guests that we're going to be having. The first is going to be, uh, and we probably have eight to ten uh, recordings of interviews already established um, and that are just kind of sitting in the can until the first of the year. Um, and, and one of those is is um, Cliff and Joyce Pinner. Um, probably, experts. Yeah, a lot of you guys, if, you've, if you're married and if you've read any... If you're feeling a little randy. If you're reading any Christian sex stuff, hopefully with no photos, um, you've probably read the Pinners. They are kind of the cream of the crop as far as Christian sex. Can I sex pause verse. on sex for just one second? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, go ahead. We'll do that another day. <laughs> I just had a shocking client this week. Uh, yeah, we don't have time for that. Yeah, no. But it's so, very interesting. We're going to have to talk about Cliff that. and Joyce Pinner uh, have fascinating things to say about um, sex within marriage, um, as well as we dig into pornography and those types of things. We also have Kay Warren coming up for you guys. He, uh, Rick she, Warren's wife? Yeah, she, she's the wife of Rick Warren. Uh, she is an author. And really with the, their son's suicide, out of her, that was that was kind of, or out of that experience within her, was birthed the idea that yeah. there's not a lot of stuff done as far as mental health in the church is concerned. So she, her passion now and what she's authoring is is just kind of ma- the marriage of mm-hmm. mental health in the church and how we can take care of those It's been stigmatized for so long. The church kind of plays like it doesn't exist in a lot of ways. We're also going to be talking to Van Moody. He is a pastor out of Birmingham, Alabama. He's also um, an author, um, and he's one of the p- kind of core team of the Dr. Oz show. Um, and so he's a, going to be a fantastic guest as well. Um, we also have Andy McQuitty. Uh, he is a uh, the pastor of Irving Bible Church. Pastor Andy. Pa- Pandy. Pandy, yeah, of uh, Irving Bible Church. And a few years ago, his daughter uh, came out. Um, as a same-sex attraction, as a homosexual. She is now married uh, to a female. They live in California. And we're going to be talking to him about just his experience, not only as a pastor, but as a yeah, father, as a um, just kind of wrestling with that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to be talking to Randy Phillips. Randy Phillips with PCD, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Uh, they've got their um, 25th anniversary as being a singing group. 
um, if that doesn't make you feel old. And it's they're actually going to celebrate it in Austin. And I think I'm I'm not sure, but I think it's February-ish, March-ish, April-ish. It's going to be in 2017. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to talk to him about that and um, uh, other things going on in his life. We're also going to be talking to George Barna. Um, because he is co-authoring with not only a brilliant psychotherapist, uh, but probably everyone agrees one of the best looking psychotherapists in the nation. In at least Northwest Austin. At least on this side of this table. <laughs> uh, and so our book is coming out in June-ish, uh, Fearless Parenting. And so most of you guys know George Barna, the Barna Group. Uh, and so we'll talk to him about uh, the new book coming out and other stuff going on in his life. So look for those guests. And then we also want to do a 30 second to a minute, kind of our favorite points of the first 40 episodes. My first would be our interview with Andy Bannister. That was just fun. He was kind of week one. Yes. And, and, and when it comes to apologetics, those people tend to be very boring and... But he's he not. He was hilarious. Well, he has a youth ministry background. Yes. So he was fantastic. He was his, really, really good. His book, his new book, uh, it has a lot of humor in it you as well. You don't think you would read something about defending your faith that would just make you chuckle throughout. Correct. Really good. So Andy Bannister was certainly a bright spot for me. The The second for me would be the nervousness of Jimmy when we spoke with Gary Chapman. I was not nervous. You keep saying I was nervous. He had like a 36-ounce cup of water that I think was, was drained within see, the 20 thing. minutes that we interviewed my love language is words of affirmation <laughs> and you're killing me so, and the sweat on his brow was pretty amazing i as like well. campolo just knowing what a personal you know kind of hero he is to mm -hmm. me and and him telling us yeah move along what are the questions yes. do you have questions for me we were trying Stop to, with the yucking it up yeah with every guest <sighs> we kind of we throw jokes we talk to him a little bit before we get to we the do. questions and he was like well I'm sure we got great questions. Let's move on. So let's get to them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great, too. Erwin uh, McManus, um, he talked about a lot of different things that were fantastic, but specifically the Christian-sensitive church. Yeah. Uh, that we are... That it's almost sacrilegious that every church isn't seeker-sensitive. It's like, well, if you're not seeker-sensitive, who are you sensitive to? Correct. Well, we're just, we're just serving already believers. Yeah. Preaching what they already know, singing yep. songs they already know. Yeah. Um, Shannon Martin for me was another favorite. Um, her whole idea that they picked up their, their family, moved to the inner city and just the idea that we have to get uncomfortable, um, that we can't surround ourselves with, you know, f financial prosperity, a, a super nice house. Um, not any of those are inherently bad, um, but that we have to purposely get uncomfortable. And Les Parrot was great. There were so Chad many Beach, high points. Absolutely. And we loved hearing from you guys, even those that we kind of made angry, um, because controversy is good internet radio. Did we make anybody angry? Uh, I say we, you, you. Seriously. The only people that got angry, we got angry at me. <laughs> Uh, guys, I would hope I that understand. you enjoyed the first 40 I episodes. You will hear from us again in, in six to eight weeks, um, and we look forward to it.